There are two slogans. and then build back better. As we think of those two terms, both of those terms are politically charged terms. I know that as I read those two terms, some of you kind of cheered on the inside, uh, some of you booed on the inside, uh, some of you even raised your eyes on the outside. It was obvious. But as I look at the book of Nehemiah, I couldn't help but think of those two terms because I think both of those terms fit and describe the book of Nehemiah very well. Nehemiah's heart was for the city of Jerusalem. He wanted to see Jerusalem great again. I also look at it, and as he looked at Jerusalem, he also wanted Jerusalem to be built back better. He wanted it. It was in ruins, and it was collapsing, and he wanted to see it built back better. And I thought about both of those terms, and I was afraid that if we announced it as build back better or make Jerusalem great again, uh, that we might turn people away. So as I look at the book of Jeremiah, as I thought about the, t the title of this series of messages, we're going to be looking at returning and rebuilding. That is the theme of the book of Nehemiah. And as we move through Nehemiah, we are going to see just over and over again this thought of returning and rebuilding. This morning, as we begin our journey through the book of Nehemiah, we're going to kind of do just an introductory study. Hopefully, it'll moisten our taste buds a little bit, so we're excited to come back next week when we dive in deeper, and that's kind of our intent uh, of this morning. And as I shared during the announcement uh, tonight, we'll look a little bit deeper into some of these things and kind of open it further to examination. But I invite you to open your Bibles this morning to the book of Nehemiah. Nehemiah. Uh, for me, it's on page 824, if that helps you. As you look at the Old Testament, uh, it starts out with the five books of the law, and then the next books in the New Testament are the 12 books of history. And as you move through those 12 books of history, you'll notice that Nehemiah is towards the end of those 12 books of history. Nehemiah chapter 1, verse 1, reads this way. The words of Nehemiah the son of Hakaliah, now it happened in the month of Chislev, in the 20th year, as I was in Susa, the citadel, that Hanani, one of my brothers, came with certain men from Judah. And I asked them concerning the Jews who escaped, who had survived the exile, and concerning Jerusalem. And they said to me, the remnant there in the province, who had survived the exile is in great trouble and shame. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates are destroyed by fire. Now, as we look at this passage, there are three headings that we're going to take to kind of lead us through this. The first thing we see is Jerusalem's Chronicles, and we're going to turn back to 2 Chronicles for that. Then we look at Nehemiah's circumstances, and that's here in Nehemiah 1.1. And then we're going to look at Nehemiah's concerns, and that's in verses 2 through 3. Before we dive into this this morning, let's just pause for a moment and pray. Great God in heaven, we're thankful that you are the great God in heaven, that there is no other. And Lord, I pray that in our time together that you would open our hearts and our minds to what you have for us. And I pray, Lord, as we dissect this passage of Scripture, 
there would be an opportunity for us to grow in our knowledge and our understanding of who you are. I pray, Lord, that through it, that we might draw nearer to you as well as we understand and see and recognize that you work all the time and that your purpose unfolds all the time. And Lord, we're grateful for that reminder this morning. So grateful for your son, Jesus, and it's in his name we pray. Amen. Now, as I promised you, we're going to look, first of all, at Jerusalem's Chronicles. And this is found in 2 Chronicles. Your Bible, just turn to the left. You'll notice the next book to your left is Ezra. And then when you turn back right before Ezra, bingo, there's 2 Chronicles. And it just so happens that 2 Chronicles ends with chapter 36. It's the end of the story. And so as we come to uh, Chronicles, 2 Chronicles chapter 36, find verse 17 there. And that's the next to last paragraph there in the last of 2 Chronicles. Now, the first thing that we want to see here, and as we think about the Chronicles of Jerusalem, we want to talk about the capture of Jerusalem. Now, Israel, in their history, has had lots of up and down time periods. As we go back to the beginning of the Old Testament, we see that that's Jerusalem's history, kind of like uh, being at Cedar Point. There's just roller coaster ride after roller coaster ride. That's the history of Israel. Now, there was a time in Israel's history when they were a united kingdom. Saul was the first king, and then David was king, and then David's son Solomon was king. Those first three men, when they ruled Israel, it was a unified kingdom. And it was at that time when Solomon was king that Israel expanded to its greatest area ever. Okay, But it was a time when, when Israel was a nation of great power, uh, and things were going really well for Israel. But Solomon sinned against God. And because of Solomon's sin, God allowed the kingdom to be divided. And during this divided kingdom, Israel became known as the northern kingdom and a southern kingdom. The northern kingdom is where the 12 tribes or where 10 of the 12 tribes were, and they were known as Israel. The southern part of Israel was known as Judah. It was the area of Judah. And it was two tribes there. They remained faithful to King David and the line of David. When the nation of Israel, the northern nations, they did not. They and their kings did not follow the one true God. In fact, the first king made it against the law to travel to Jerusalem and worship in the temple. And he made two golden calves and said, you can worship here instead and we'll be okay. And so as a result of that, the nation of Israel, those 10 tribes, the northern kingdom, they drifted further and further away from God. Now, that led to the captivity period. Now, in 722 BC, after sending multiple prophets to the northern kingdom, warning them that they needed to turn back to God, God sent judgment. The Assyrians came in and they captured northern Israel, the Israel, uh, and defeated that northern kingdom. And they took a lot of those people that lived there captive into Assyria. Now, as they were taken captive, one of the things that they did uh, is they kind of intermingled with the people of Assyria. And they, as they assimilated, they no longer were different than the people of Assyria. And so the people of the northern kingdoms 
just kind of faded away and became non-existent as a people group. Now, the people of Judah, they held on. They had kings that would follow God for a while and then kings that would not follow God. But they refused to see the northern uh, nation's example. And in 5, 597, sorry. In 597, God sent Babylon to take over that southern kingdom. And Nebuchadnezzar took them captive into Babylon. This is 2 Chronicles 36, verse 17. Therefore, he brought up against them the king of the Chaldeans, who killed their young men, and the sword in the house of their sanctuary, and half, and had no compassion on young man or virgin, old man or aged. He gave them all into his hand. Verse 18. All the vessels of the house of God, great and small, and the treasures of the house of the Lord, and the treasures of the king and of his princes, all these he brought to Babylon, and they burned the house of God, and they broke down the wall of Jerusalem, and burned all its palaces with fire, and destroyed all its precious vessels. He took into exile in Babylon those who had escaped from the sword, and they became servants to him and to his sons until the establishment of the kingdom of Persia to fulfill the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah until the land had enjoyed its Sabbath. All the days that lay desolate, it kept Sabbath to fulfill 70 years. So this captivity period, this captivity period lasted for 70 years. Judah was in Babylon for that time of period and they were held captive. Now it's nice that during this time period, Judah did not assimilate with the Babylonians. This is where synagogues began because they could no longer go down to Jerusalem and worship in the temple. They began meeting in synagogues, meeting in groups and wherever they lived in Babylon and worshiped the one true God. Uh, they would gather together they would sing songs and they would listen to God's word being proclaimed. Can you imagine if we did that today? That would be crazy if we did that, wouldn't it? But that's what synagogues were and that's what they did because they couldn't make that trip down. Uh, and during it was during this time period that the people of Israel became known as the Jews because the people of Judah were recognized as the Jews. And so it was for that period on that they did that. The, king, the Jews lived in exile for 70 years. God told Jeremiah that it was going to last for 70 years. Daniel was reading the book of Jeremiah, recognized it was going to be for 70 years, and was prepared for the end of that 70 years. After the end of that 70 years, that began the return period, where people of Israel, the Jews, began to return to Israel. Uh, after that 70 years, in 539 BC, the Medes and the Persians invaded Babylon and defeated Nebuchadnezzar, and they took over Babylon. And Cyrus was the king of Persia. Now, look at 2 Chronicles 36, verse 22. Now, in the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, that the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah might be fulfilled, 
the Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia, so that he made a proclamation throughout all his kingdom and also put it in writing. Thus says Cyrus, king of Persia, the Lord, the God of heaven, has given me all the kingdoms of the earth, and he has charged me to build him a house at Jerusalem, which is in Judah. Whoever is among you of all his people, may the Lord his God be with you. Let him go up. And so what Cyrus did was gave all of the Jews permission to return to their homeland. And he said that he received a vision and his instructions to rebuild the temple. So the Jews were given the opportunity to go and return to Jerusalem. And many of them did return to Jerusalem. Now, in 535 BC, Zerubbabel led a remnant back to Jerusalem. And as we study the Old Testament, you're going to see the word remnant a lot. God always deals and always saves a remnant. And there was a remnant that Zerubbabel led back to Israel. The book that we just skipped over, Ezra, in verses in chapters 1 through 6, shares with us about Zerubbabel's trip back to Jerusalem. And his job was to rebuild the temple. That was what he was supposed to do. Some of the remnant remained in Persia, but some of the remnant went with Zerubbabel. Uh, 57 years passed, and during that time is when the book of Queen Esther and the events of Queen Esther took place. And then in Ezra chapter 7, verse uh, chapter 7 through chapter 10, that shares when Ezra took the next group of remnants back. And that was in 458 BC. There will be a test afterwards, so just write down all of these numbers. Okay? So in 458 BC, Ezra led another remnant back. Now, Ezra, after this period of time, going back, expecting great things to happen, expecting the temple to be there, expecting the Jews to be uh, looking to God and growing in their relationship with God. But instead, when Ezra arrived, he found Jerusalem to be in spiritual and moral decline. Even though they had gone back with the motivation to build the temple, they got there and it didn't happen. Ezra sought to lead them in a spiritual renewal. And as we look at the book of Ezra, Ezra's focus was on returning them back to worshiping the one true God, worshiping as they should worship. Nehemiah then comes on the scene. And Nehemiah is going to be the next to lead a group of people. And Nehemiah is going to team up with Ezra. Nehemiah's focus is going to be rebuilding Jerusalem, the walls and the city itself. But he and Ezra are going to work together in seeking to build back better going to seek to make Jerusalem great again. That's going to be the focus. And so that's where we are. That is the Chronicles of Jerusalem. That's what brings us right here to Nehemiah chapter 1. Now skip over the book of Ezra again and go back to Nehemiah chapter 1. 
in Nehemiah chapter 1, we see the circumstances of where Nehemiah is. We understand now, or hopefully you got your nap out of the way, and you understand a little bit about where Jerusalem is at and what brought us to this point. But here's where we see Nehemiah on the scene. It says in verse 1 of Nehemiah chapter 1, the words of Nehemiah, the son of Hakaliah. Now, there is some debate as to who wrote the book of Nehemiah. Many people think that it was Nehemiah. Uh, some people believe that it was Nehemiah with Ezra's help. And you know what? I don't know. I wasn't there. But one of the things that we do see is that it is written from Nehemiah, Nehemiah's memoirs. We see recordings from his diary, so to speak, of what took place. So we have Nehemiah's encounter. And maybe Ezra stole his diary and recorded it. Maybe Nehemiah gave him his diary. Maybe Nehemiah just recorded from his diary. But we see the writings of Nehemiah here in this. Now, we really don't learn too much about Nehemiah. We know that he was Jewish, definitely had a love for the Jewish people, had a love for God, had a love for God's people. We definitely see that. He was born in exile uh, after the fall of Jerusalem. And his dad was Hakaliah. And that is all we really know about Nehemiah. He has no pedigree. He doesn't roll out and show that he's in the line of David. Uh, we don't see anything about him being in the line of, uh, of a priest, the Levi line. We don't see that. All that we know is that he is Jewish, the offspring of Abraham. But as we look at Nehemiah, we're going to see that Nehemiah was a man who followed God. He looked to follow God. He desired to be obedient. He was a cupbearer, according to Nehemiah chapter 1, verse 11. The last part of Nehemiah 1, 11 tells us that he was a cupbearer. Some see a cupbearer as being a butler, but a cupbearer was exactly what the name implies, a cupbearer. It was his job to bring the wine to the king. And he would taste the wine in front of the king to make sure that the king was not poisoned. I wonder what life insurance would cost for someone like Nehemiah. You know, they, they look at risk, right? Oh, you're a Schwann's man. There's great risk there. Uh, policeman, not so much, but Schwann's man, great risk. So that's how life insurance is based. I wonder what Nehemiah's life insurance was based. Nehemiah, being in this position that he was in, some of the cupbearers kind of took on a, a role like chief of staff. Now think about your role as a cupbearer. Would you want to be in charge of who was baking or cooking for the king? Wouldn't you want to be in charge of who was in the kitchen if every day at five o'clock, king, here's to you. I mean, you would want to know who put that in the king's cup, right? And so they did kind of have that chief of staff position. To have that position as, as cupbearer, it would be a trusted position. Because who's the king going to have there sampling for you? Someone you can trust. And if it's someone you can trust and he's going to be in your presence just about every day, 
he's going to become someone special to the king. It just so happens that Artaxerxes is the son of Ahasuerus and Vashti. Vashti was the queen who Ahasuerus dismissed and chose Esther to be his new queen. So Esther would be Artaxerxes' stepmother. It so turns out that Ahasuerus was killed in his bed by one of his own couriers. I imagine that Artaxerxes was very careful with who he surrounded himself with. So to be in this position of cupbearer, Nehemiah had to be someone who was trusted. To be in this position, he had to be someone who had knowledge of the king's operations, had knowledge of the culture, had to be someone who was able to converse with the king. Because of the access that he had, I'm sure he had some influence over the king. Nehemiah was a Jew, not Persian. He was a Jew. And maybe it was Esther who got him this position. But Nehemiah proved himself to be a man of character. Nehemiah proved himself to be a man of integrity. Nehemiah worked his way into this position. And Nehemiah was in this position not by accident. As we read about Nehemiah's position here, I can't help but think about the sovereignty of God. This was no accident. You think about how God works. There's no accident that Nehemiah is in Susa. Esther was in Susa. That was no accident. We saw uh, Joseph being in Egypt. Yeah, not an accident. God took him there. His brothers meant it for evil, but God took Joseph there and saved the nation of Israel. Daniel was in Babylon, was the first group taken captive. And he was there, not by accident. Nehemiah was a nobody. You know what? Just like us. I mean, how many of us have royal pedigrees? No? No. We're just common, everyday people. Nehemiah was a common, everyday people. But he loved God. He sought to be obedient. And he was in this place at this time. Look at verse 1 as it continues. Now it happened in the month of Chislev, in the 20th year. The 20th year of King Artaxerxes. Nehemiah is here. It's the month of Chislev. Uh, that would be the ninth month in the Jewish calendar. Uh, that would be about mid-November to mid-December, maybe a little later November, a little later December. So end of fall. Early winter is when he would be here. And it says in verse 1, As I was in Susa, the citadel. We saw Susa in our study through Esther. Susa was located on the west side of what is modern-day Iran. It's just a little ways north of the Persian Gulf. 
That's where this was located. It's about 200 miles from uh, Babylon, uh, and the kings of Persia would winter here. They would spend their winters. It was kind of their, their winter home, and that's where they are. So that's Nehemiah's circumstance is here in Susa at this time. Now, the next thing we see is Nehemiah's concern. Look at verse 2. That Hananiah, one of my brothers, came with certain men from Judah. So Hananiah, it says here, was Nehemiah's brother. And this appears to be his real brother. Could just be a Jew, uh, but it appears to be his real brother. Hananiah and others come from Susa. Or they come to Susa from Judah. Uh, Jerusalem being the capital city of Judah. Now, as they come, Nehemiah inquires of them. I asked them concerning the Jews who escaped, who had survived the exile, and concerning Jerusalem. Now, Nehemiah knows them. Nehemiah questions them about the Jews in Jerusalem. He's curious about news from back home. Have you guys ever gone away for a while and then desire or you're curious about what's going on back home? I remember when I went to college in Kansas and my mom subscribed to the local paper and it would come once a week and I was always excited because that was the only mail I got. Visa didn't know my name, consumers didn't know my name, things were great then. But I get the paper and I was always excited to see what was going on back home. So this is just a few weeks before Facebook. Nehemiah sees his brother. He's excited about news from back home. As a Jew, he would know about the promised land. As a Jew, he would know about God's promise and covenants about Israel. He, he would know about all of that stuff. He would know about the Jews who remained, who weren't taken into exile. He would know about the Jews who went back with Zerubbabel that were going to build the temple. He would know about the Jews who went with Ezra. He wants to find out what's going on in Jerusalem. He wanted to know about what was happening. Look at verse 3. And they said to me, the remnant there in the province who survived the exile, is in great trouble and shame. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates are destroyed by fire. He doesn't sugarcoat this. He tells Nehemiah exactly the condition. The wall of the city would have been something that would have protected the city. The temple being put back together would be something that would be for the nation of Israel. But without the wall, without the gates, the city wasn't restored. The city was not a safe place to live. Previous attempts to, to rebuild the wall had been stopped, to rebuild the city. Israel's enemies did not want them to rebuild. Satan did not want them to rebuild. rebuild. There was no work that was being done. There was a fear of the enemies was discouragement there was distraction they were reluctant to build the temple they were reluctant to rebuild the work that had been done had been destroyed 90 years 
they had been back in Jerusalem. And there was nothing to show for it. Certainly glad we don't deal with those same things today, right? When we think about serving God, we never struggle with fear. We never struggle with the what ifs. We just march forward, don't we? We never struggle with doubt. That's something that others struggle with, but we don't. We don't struggle with discouragement. Thankfully, we as followers of Christ never become distracted by the things of the world. We stay on course, right? We stay focused. We never are reluctant to give up our own comfort. Never reluctant to serve. We're never disobedient. We certainly never lack faith. But as we look at the nation of Israel, that's exactly where they were at. And Nehemiah is going to have an assignment to go and to help. What's going to happen to Jerusalem? What's going to take place in Jerusalem? What's going to happen to God's people? Nation, the nation of Israel, the Jews, as God's chosen people, are on the verge of being wiped out. If only God had a leader, if God only had someone who would stand in the gap and be obedient, maybe then God could do some great things. Well, there you have it. The Chronicles of Jerusalem, the circumstance that Nehemiah finds himself in, and Nehemiah's concern. So what do we take home from this? I mean, what do we apply to our lives? I think the first thing that we need to be reminded of is that God does bring about judgment. Sometimes we think about God being a loving God only. But God does bring judgment. But you know, God is not a God who forgets his promises. We could look at the condition of Israel right here and just say, boy, God has forgotten all about them. But God has not forgotten them. God has not forgotten them at all. God always works out his plan. God's plan always works. Always works. Sometimes we look and we just wonder, what in the world is going on? God must have forgotten. God's plan always works. And as we look at the book of Nehemiah, it starts in a hopeless and helpless situation. But you know what? God's plan always works. There's going to be something we're going to be reminded of time and time again as we go through this. Nehemiah was a nobody. Nehemiah was a nobody. But Nehemiah loved God and Nehemiah was obedient. Nehemiah was a man of great character. 
And Nehemiah was a man who was willing to follow God and he was willing to lead others so that they too would follow God. And I think as we look at the person of Nehemiah in the weeks and months and maybe years to come, hopefully we see a man that we can emulate. Hopefully we see a man that we can be like. When no one else is willing to stand and to follow God, maybe in Nehemiah we see that man who's willing to stand and follow God. And maybe we can be that Nehemiah in our little people group. That we can be that one who leads others, who follows God.